0: You're listening to Weird Medicine with Dr. Steve on the Riotcast Network. Riotcast.com I've
1: got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valves exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out. No? Wave an ultrasonic, echographic, and a pulsitating shave. I want a magic film for all my ailments, the health equivalent of citizen cane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a
2: requiem for my disease. So I'm paging Doctor Steve. Doctor Steve.
1: It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of. Broadcast Radio, also a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve, and this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you got a question, you're embarrassed to take your regular medical provider. If you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347 poo I don't know. Visit our website at Dr. Steve. Dot com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy, or go to our merchandise store at cafepress.com slash medicine, where I'll make literally 25 cents. So, uh, yeah, don't worry about that so much. But you can get a Bristol stool scale mug, which is a pretty cool um, white elephant Christmas gift. It's uh, got pictures of stool on it, and you can uh, judge your uh, stools. Your bowel movements as you drink your uh, cup of coffee in the morning. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse, practitioner, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory, scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. Hey, um, we're getting close to the holidays. Next week, we're going to have Chrissy Mayer on the show. She is delightful, by the way, and it's going to be a good show. We're going to talk about flu vaccine and sex headaches and all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, check her out at patreon.com slash Chrissy. That's C-H-R-I-S-S-I-E-M-A-Y-R dot com or whatever. Patreon.com slash Chrissy Mayer. Check her out on um, um, Twitter as well. And I think she's got, you know, and she's young. She's got all the social media you young kids have, don't you know? <laughs> well, ugh. check out stuff.drsteve.com, stuff.drsteve.com for all your online shopping needs, and tweakedaudio.com. Best stocking stuffers or Hanukkah gifts are uh, earbuds. And uh, you, with offer code FLUID, you get 33% off, and that's a great deal and uh, best customer service anywhere. So tweakedaudio.com, offer code FLUID. Check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. And really, if you want to hit your ideal body weight, as I did, with me, go to noom.drsteve.com. Noom, N-O-O-M.drsteve.com. You get two weeks free and 20% uh, uh, off if you decide to sign up for it. And if you decide to sign up for it, it's not like some of these other ones. You don't have to do it forever. You do it for three months and you're done. Uh, if you're lazy, like I am, and who isn't, uh, you can get uh, Freshly, delivering fresh prepared meals that make eating right super easy. They're all gluten-free and reasonably healthy. I like the um, steak peppercorn. comes with, you know, green beans and julienne carrots and some... I don't know if it's mashed potatoes or mashed um, cauliflower, but it's good. Whatever it is, it's awesome. I have a steak every week thanks to Freshly. You can use my link to get six dinners for $39 for two weeks. That's 20 bucks off each week. Give it a try. Let me know what you think. It's not for everybody. Okay? But if you like it, um, it's awesome and it is absolutely convenient. Uh, and then if you want archives of this show, why would you? But if you do, Uh, Go to premium.drsteve.com, and you can uh, just use offer code FLUID. You get a deal. If you're interested in getting a flash drive with about 17 gigs of content on it, and, you know, that leaves whatever 32 minus 17 is, was that 15, 15, whatever, I don't know, uh, 15 gigs of, uh, I'm supposed to be smart. You know, I have an IQ of 165. And I've gotten to the point where it's really hard for me to uh, do math in my head anymore. But I think that's more of a function of uh, drinking and um, of being 60, almost 65 years old. So anyway, you just you get dumb. Um, Anyway, uh, where was I? Don't even remember. So (laughs) don't worry about it. Let's see what we got on the show today. Uh Uh-oh. Well, listen. What a coincidence, Tacey. You're on weird medicine.
2: I thought you were recording a four.
1: Yes, call and me when you can. okay, okay. Bye. It's always just such a coincidence. It doesn't matter when I'm uh, recording that she calls, uh, happens to call me. You know why that is. It's not like she's stalking me and knows when I'm recording because that's impossible. Um, nor would she have the uh, energy or the desire to know what I'm doing. But um, that's how many times a day she calls me. So that's just what that is. All right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Hey, I wanted to do an update on the uh, Boston chemical accident. So we now know what the chemicals were. We talked about this last week. Uh, This is a really sad story. And it was um, and this is from uh, Burlington or Boston uh, CBS. And uh, it says um, the employee who died after a chemical incident at a Buffalo Wild Wings restaurant in Burlington has been identified as 32 year old Ryan Baldera of Lawrence. And this guy, kind of a hero in the sense that, well, he is, in the sense that he went in to help somebody else uh, with a problem and ended up uh, losing his life over it. Baldera is a general manager. He jumped in to help with another employee using a common cleaning agent known as Super 8 on the kitchen floor, suddenly became nauseous. That is not a word. Sorry. Nauseous isn't a word. It's nauseated. Things can be nauseous. things that cause have the capability of making you nauseated are nauseous. Look it up this is <laughs> journalists okay I matter of fact, you all don't believe me. I know you don't uh my old uh boss in uh Londonderry Vermont, that was one of his um pet peeves as my medical students would and he was uh British very uh proper but hilarious dude and very very smart and um i remember one of my medical students was presenting to him and she said yeah yeah this patient's nauseous of course she was from the you know the northeast somewhere and he was like that's not a well, i can't do a british accent but anyway in his british accent you know that's not a word it's nauseated Okay, so, n- um, uh, okay. The prop, okay, so here we go. Because people have been musing it incorrectly, it's become part of the lexicon. So it actually is a, um, a n- God dang it. In the latest... Shut up. In the latest um, uh, dictionary, nauseous is now afflicted with nausea. That was not the case. The correct, but of course, that's English. So these words keep changing as we use them incorrectly. Um, And and this is, uh, I'll take a second to talk about the um, uh, euphemism treadmill too. But um, okay, so the correct, definition is causing nausea offensive to taste or smell that smell was nauseous okay so um god that's dictionary let me find a better dictionary and see then when you got complete competing dictionaries uh okay let's just see okay merriam-webster will agree and if i'm wrong yeah it's Number one is causing nausea or disgust, the nauseous smell of rotting garbage. Thank you. Okay. Okay, here we go. Now, here's, here's an article about it. It says, those who insist that nauseous can properly properly be used only to mean causing nausea and that it's later affected with nausea, meaning as an error for nauseated, are mistaken. Well, all right, I guess I'm wrong then. Current evidence shows these facts. Nauseous is most frequently used to mean physically affected with nausea. Okay, so th- th- because it's commonly used that way, it does not make it correct. For example, ironic doesn't mean, oh, what a weird just- juxtaposition. You know, ironic is when you say something and you mean the opposite. Sarcasm is a better synonym for ironic or psych- sarcastic. Um. Okay, but anyway. Nauseated is used more widely than nauseous when being referred to as being affected with nausea. Yeah. Okay, so it's still controversial. So they're saying it's incorrect, but, you know, where where's their authority? This is just from some damn thesaurus article. So, yes, current. Uh, if we're going to define English based on how we use these words, then, yeah, ironic just means weird juxtaposition of things. You know, I um, you know, since we all understand it, I guess I'm just being a dick. Let's talk a little bit about. <laughs> the, uh, okay, so uh, I'll I'll take back the boo that I gave to the uh, journalist because apparently it is uh, accepted to um, to say nauseous um, euphemism treadmill. I brought this up. So back in the day, there were words that were used medically. That were acceptable. So, definition, uh, let's just use moron of moron. Okay, well, now moron is a stupid person, but there was a medical definition. (laughs) That's okay. Now, Merriam Webster made me laugh. Um, Medical. Let's look for the medical definition of moron. And, uh, okay, I'm finding it under the Wikipedia for imbecile. So the term imbecile was once used by psychiatrists to denote a category of people with moderate to severe intellectual disability, uh, as well as a type of criminal. The word arises from the Latin word imbecilious, meaning weak or weak-minded. It included people with IQ of 26 to 50, which was between idiot, IQ of 0 to 25, and moron, an IQ of 51 to 70. In the obsolete medical classification, ICD-9, which is 1977, these people were said to have moderate mental retardation or moderate mental subnormality. Now, all of these words that I just used were turned around and used as pejoratives. So people would, um, you know, hey, you idiot. Hey, moron. Um, Hey, retard. Uh, And then even subnormal. Subnormal. Well, he's a sub sub subnormal, uh, piece of shit or whatever, you know? So, um, these words became pejorative. People started using them that way. And since the meaning now shifted where idiot before was a person with an extremely low IQ. Now, when you called somebody an idiot, meaning it in a pejorative sense, it reflected poorly and was offensive to people who were actual idiots So those terms um, uh, had to change. And um, so now we may, uh, uh, you know, call uh, or even mentally retarded is um, was subject to the euphemism treadmill. And uh, that became derogatory as well. And so now we'll say, you know, um, whatever the intellectual disability or whatever. So all of these things are now under the the um, stratus of intellectual disability. And then you may stratify them again by IQ if you're using IQ or just their functional ability. Okay, and and that's seems much less easy to then turn around and turn into uh, something that you're yelling at somebody in a pejorative way. So that's the euphemism treadmill. Words become uh, uh, that are. Are um, medical terms usually that then become pejorative terms that then become changed into a euphemism uh, to make them less uh, offensive. Midget is another one of these. Although the little people community have um, used, uh, you know, embraced the term dwarf because that's a medical term. Midget used to be a medical term as well. Uh, uh, There were uh, midgets who were dwarfs and then there were midgets who were, uh, proportioned and there were proportional dwarfs and achondroplastic dwarfs. Um, and the proportional dwarfs were also considered midgets. Well, that, that term is no longer acceptable. It is offensive and, uh, to the little, um, little people community. And, uh, therefore, um, you know, it was also subject to this euphemism treadmill. So, all right. Uh, so nausea. Okay, so let's get back to this story. Sorry, I got, uh, oh, sh- shiny object. Um, You know, if they had known what ADD was when I was a kid, I would have done so much better in school. I mean, I ended up doing okay. As an adult, having ADD in the job that I have is actually good because I can hyper-focus when I need to, and I can also, uh, uh, you know, do multiple things at once and be, and, and, I things catch my attention, which is good when you're trying to make a diagnosis on a patient. you want little things to catch your attention and you and you uh, dog them uh, to the end because that's good for diagnostic you don't want to be blowing things off and big picturing everything so uh, it's good for me now it was a real struggle back in the day when I would make 99th percentile on these th- uh, uh, they were Iowa basics at the time. They were uh, the standardized tests of the day. I would get 99th percentile in the Iowa basics and they'd be making C's and D's in school. It drove my parents crazy. And so I was labeled underachiever, which underachiever means lazy ass. And uh, so I just got in trouble all the time. My teachers, I remember Miss Johnson in the fifth grade, what a harridan this person was and, uh, just minimized me. I don't know how I didn't just end up doing drugs. Well, okay. Well, I, I did do that. I don't know how I didn't just, um, grow my hair long and, uh, wear my shoes until, well, I did all that too. So anyway, yeah, she messed me up. I blame it on her. Miss Johnson in the fifth grade, kiss my ass. Of course, now, I'm 60, so I would have been—what would I have been in the fifth grade? I would have been 10, right? And she would have been 30, so she was 20 years older than me. So she's 80-something now. So she's—if but she's still alive, she got—she's already suffering, so I don't need to make her suffer anymore. But, uh, yeah, that did—you can really F a kid up. And the anti-intellectual bias at that time—like, I the kids' books— Um, were boring to me. So I wanted to go into the adult library and they wouldn't let me. And my mother had to have a library card and she wouldn't do it. So I was kind of screwed. So I remember I would take five or six books out about stars in that were in the kids' library and uh, I'd go, I'd walk all the way the hell home. It was, you know, I don't know, 12, 13 blocks. And I'd read them. And then want to bring them back and get more books. And the, the woman, I remember, she had to be a high school student, but she seemed like well, she was a young woman. And she's like, oh, no, you can't bring books back the same day. She just didn't want to mess with it. Uh, instead of going, wow, you read all of those in one day? Um, let me show you where the the physics books are or whatever. No, you can't bring them back in one day. <laughs> just go f yourselves with the way you treat kids that don't fit the mold and that was definitely me and I still don't fit the mold though I'm kind of like Zelig that's why I'm like Zelig you know if i'm uh, I'm always trying to fit in wherever I am and usually unsuccessful the only place I can f- fit in is um well I don't know where that place is anyway. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Um, Don't worry about me, none. All right. Let's get back to this. Uh, Baldera, the general manager, jumped in to help when another employee using a common cleaning agent known as Super 8 on the kitchen floor suddenly became nauseous. Fire officials say the other worker uh, accidentally mixed a second chemical called Scale Clean that caused a reaction. So, remember last time we talked about what my hypothesis was, was they were using sodium hypochlorite, uh, which is bleach w- with some acidic thing. It could be ammonia. It could be another acid and then releasing, uh, not only chlorine gas, but other, uh, like chloramine and other noxious gases. And in small amounts, Most of those gases are irritating, but not deadly, but in large amounts, particularly when they replace the oxygen in the air uh, that you're breathing, it's really bad. And they're very caustic too. I got one whiff of chlorine gas when I was a kid playing around in the basement, uh, mixing bleach and ammonia together because they were there. And you know, what what happens when you do this? And uh, uh, I, I got one, I saw it bubble up and then I took an a breath and it felt like knives. I was inhaling little tiny knives and I had to run out of there and then I was okay. I coughed for a while and I was okay after that, but uh, that sucked. And I can't imagine being stuck in a place where you're breathing that more than one inhalation. It would really be bad. Uh, So it says it was two products were on the floor, came in contact, caused the chemical reaction that made everybody sick. Burlington fire chief, Michael Patterson said, Baldera died after being rushed to the hospital. 13 additional people, including employees and patrons, were also hospitalized. Um, uh, uh, Baldera was a beloved husband, father, son, brother, and cherished uncle, nephew, and son in law to his close knit family and friends, his family said in a statement. That's just devastating. Um, uh, He had an asthma problem, and he was using his asthma inhaler outside when he started feeling his symptoms. So that probably contributed to it. Uh, OSHA has been notified. The restaurant has been closed for investigation. Now, where is the thing about the, the stuff was containing hypochlorite? Um, let me see if I can find another. Uh, okay. Here we go. Thursday evening, staff mem- member inhaled the fumes of chemical solution hypochlorite. And I guess that scale stuff is um uh is acidic and when it was ex- when they used the hypochlorite together with that uh it released chlorine gas and probably chloramine so and uh, i read another article this isn't the article that i originally read that said that uh, there was a bubbling when it happened and that's the release of that gas and um you, if if you're ever mixing or working with Uh, cleaning chemicals don't mix them read the label there should be a um, uh, safety um, data sheet on these things and it'll tell you what you can mix them with and what you can't and anything containing bleach should be used by itself not mixed with anything else and uh, it's a great cleaning agent and you know we use it in our pools and you can buy little spray bottles of uh, bleach and right next to it is the sp- spray bottle of vinegar or uh, uh, ammonia so it i see people all the time you know they'll spray with one then spray with the other one's got to completely dry before you use the other one and we're going to save some people from uh, uh, being exposed to uh, this uh, horrendous gas okay and then you know if you mix chlorine with sodium which sodium is also incredibly um reactive my chemistry professor at uh west uh, case western took a chunk of solid metallic sodium and it was either sodium or potassium doesn't matter it'll do the same thing and he threw it into this pond apparently in the quad at case western i've never been there but there's some pond And uh, when it hit the water, it made such a violent reaction that it exploded, um, or there was an explosion, and um, the uh, chunk of sodium flew up into the air and fell back into the water where it it, it promptly exploded again. And this will do this over and over again until there's a crust of, um, you know, usually sodium chloride or sodium hydroxide Probably more likely sodium hydroxide on the surface of the uh, sodium that kind of encapsulates it stops it from being reactive anymore. You can store this stuff under oil, but you can't let it come come in contact with um, with water and you know sodium's one of those has a um, a very reactive electron shell and it 's it 's looking for uh for electrons it 's positively charged and it 'll take them forever it can get them so anyway um, so you take sodium highly reactive and chlorine highly reactive, and you put them together and you get sodium chloride, which is awesome it 's salt it 's delightful and that 's where the word salary comes from as a matter of fact fun fact. Uh, because apparently the Roman soldiers, part of their pay was to be paid in salt. Which is funny to me. They're, they're surrounded by ocean. Seems like it would be pretty easy to make salt from the salt water. There's a process for doing that. and um, uh, But they were paid in salt. Anyway. All right. Sea salt. Very fancy. Um, let's um, take... A couple of phone calls here. We'll save those for next time. All right. You ready? Here we go. Number
3: one thing don't take advice from some asshole on the radio.
1: Thank you, Ronnie B. Absolutely true.
3: Hey, this is Dylan from Kansas. Hey, Dylan. I calling to talk about a. Injury I had a work involving a vice handle spinning and hitting me in a testicle and now I found a lump on my testicle and I'm not sure if it was there before or afterwards. And curious to see if I should uh, go get checked.
1: Okay, so Dylan had a trauma to the jungle area and now when he goes down there checking it out he feels a lump. And let me see, did he say where it is? Did he say it's on the testicle or in the scrotum? Let's see.
3: involving a vice handle spinning and hitting me in a testicle, and now i found a lump on my testicle. Okay,
1: he's saying it's on the testicle, so that's key. So a lump in the scrotum usually is going to be a cyst of some sort. It could be a uh, he, um, a hematocele, I guess, that, that's a word. Um, I just made that up. There might be such a thing. That would be uh, a... Um, cyst that's filled with blood you can get a hydrocele, which is a cyst that's filled with what did you say water give yourself a bill it looks like water it's not but it's i mean well it's got water in it it's um ultra blood and uh there's a significant component of water in blood and uh, that's a, a cyst, usually of some of the the uh, lining tissues, and you'll uh, it can be caused by inflammation or maybe a little trauma, or sometimes it just happens, and you get this fluid-filled cyst. And you can tell if it's a hydrocele usually by taking a pin light and putting it behind the testicle and then looking, and if that hydrocele glows like ET's finger, um, then it's it's most likely clear fluid still should get it checked out now this guy he doesn't know if it was there before if he could say yeah i check my nuts every week which you should be doing if you listen to this show i say at the end of every show i'm not kidding when i say check your stupid nuts for lumps um uh if he had checked it every week and it wasn't there and now it was there you could say yeah definitely it's from the trauma if however you you don't know if it was there before That means it could have been there before, and you only discovered it because now you hurt yourself, and now you're checking your nuts. So get it checked. The uh, provider that you go to will um, uh, feel your testicles and feel inside the scrotum, feel around. Could it be an epididymis? An epididymis is a normal structure. you got to have it if you're going to uh, get sperm from the testicle into your uh, splooge. And uh, that's where sperm mature, and it's at the upper back side of the testicle. If you're examining it, you know, if you uh, make a little C clamp and feel around the back of your nuts at the very top on the back, you'll feel this squishy thing. That when you kind of give it a little bit of a squeeze, it's oh, it feels kind of like that feeling when you get kicked in the nuts. Uh, that's your epididymis. Right around there is you can have uh, an appendix testes, an appendix epididymis, You can have an epididymal cyst. There's all kinds of little things on that backside there. Um, a lump that's on the scrotum doesn't move. If it's firm, it feels like maybe there's a, a piece of um, uh, terrarium gravel or anything else stuck to the surface of the testicle. That should be checked out could be trauma could be a little hematoma where you got knocked blood uh uh, is released from little capillaries and it's under the lining there you know all these things have a lining over them and if you get something between the nut and the lining then it'll make a little pump knot or punk knot if you're from here or a pone if you're from tennessee that's what a corn pone is is a uh a dome-like shape of cornbread okay that's a pone, So you can get a pone on your back. It could be an abscess, big abscess, dome-like abscess. Any dome-like thing is a pwn. Well, anyway, you get a pone on your nut, and it could just be from that blood. But well, there's no way for you to tell, and there may not be any way for your provider to tell just by feeling it, so they may order an ultrasound just to look and see what it is. So, yeah, get that checked out. It's, it's my same rule with... Um, blood in your stool if you see blood in your stool for the first time get it checked out if they tell you yeah it's just a hemorrhoid and it's going to bleed and you see blood tomorrow then you don't have to worry about it so all right thank you
0: today's episode is brought to you by angie Go to your
2: happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy
0: price, price Priceline. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hi, Dr. Steve, this is
2: Phil in Tampa. I want to call you real quick. Excuse me. Give you. I um, uh, thank you, really, and give you a quick update. You and I had texted back and forth some time ago. I was taking Lexapro for anxiety, and that tanked badly. And then I switched to Prozac. And I just want to say, it really meant a lot to me that you that you reached out to me and asked me how Alexa Pro was going. Um, sometime after I told you. I mean, for I just it, it really meant a lot that you
1: took the time to do that. So I want to thank you for that. Thank- okay. Well, thank you. And uh, I'll play the rest of your call in a second. Uh, and, and I appreciate the feedback. It's I, When you all call in a voicemail, as long as you don't call from a blocked number, I'll try to text you back. Now, I get behind sometimes. There are people out there that, you know, five years ago sent in a voicemail and I never got back to them. I've got about 100 uh, um, voicemails and <laughs> everyone's, if you called in four or five years ago someday you will probably get a text from me saying hey sorry uh i'm getting back to you five years later how's that rectal (laughs) bleeding going um because i i really got behind pretty bad there for a while i've more recently been staying up to date but i'll try to text you back he was impressed by the fact that I email or I texted him back some weeks later saying, Hey, how did the Lexapro go? Thinking that I was thinking about him the whole time or, you know, or, you know, that I he crossed my mind at all. What really happened, and I, I hate to blow this up cause I would much rather take the props for being a cool guy who, uh, who cares about my listeners, but I do, but I just can't keep all this in my head. Um, if, what most likely happened was he texted me back, and when I went back in three or four weeks later, I saw that I had a text message from somebody. You know, I'll always answer them, and uh, and I read the thread, and I just said, "Hey, how's it going with the with the new medication?" So it looks like I'm very thoughtful. In fact, I'm just kind of going through my messages, but you know, I guess that's more than some hosts do. And uh, so I'll be happy to um, uh, take the accolades for that. But, uh, you know, this is my job, in my opinion, is to, if you guys reach out to me, to answer you back if I can. And if I ever haven't, I intended to, and just call me or email me or text me again, and I'll try to get back to you. Now, I don't give advice in the sense that, well, you should take this, this, or this, but I can give you information that you can take to your primary care provider and, uh, and uh, you know, have them write whatever it is or see if they agree with my assessment. But anyway, right, let see if there's anything else on this.
2: I to the project as well. I, I had a bad reaction to it, too. While it wasn't as bad as Lexapro, you know, as Dr. Steve, I just don't think it's for me. Um, I, during counseling, my counselor said that maybe I was trying to medicate for anxiety. That only happened, you know, it, that was infrequent. And I was medicating for every day. So I've decided it's not for now. A lot of people have noticed improvement in me, my personality, appetite, things like that.
1: Okay, good. So he brings up a a couple of really good points. One is, should you take something every day for something that only affects you every once in a while? And I, I think the answer is no. For most things. For example, migraine headache get a migraine headache once every six months, it's severe, but it only happens once every six months. Should you take something every day in an attempt to prevent that? Well, how would you know if it's even working? Because if it's every six months, that means you could probably go eight, nine, maybe even 12 months without having one every once in a while, just by chance. So it'd be hard for you to know that it was actually doing anything unless you went three or four years and went, wow, I haven't had a migraine. And they'd have to be pretty damn severe to justify taking something every day for that. It would be much better in a situation like that where it's not lifestyle altering to any significant degree. uh, If you have a migraine every six months to find a regimen that will abort the migraine when it happens rather than uh, trying to prevent something that's that infrequent. So he was having infrequent anxiety, but he was on Prozac. And the adverse effects were worse than what it was doing for him, so the the risk in his situation was greater than the benefit, so he went off of it and he found that his appetite's better people are find him to be more engaging and I'll bet his um uh, uh ability to have normal sexual congress with the partner of his choice has improved as well, so uh yeah, these medications aren't for everyone and if we all if there was one perfect medication, we'd only need one medication there's blue million antidepressants on the market because everybody's different, everybody's internal uh neurochemistry is different, everybody responds differently to these medications the receptors are are uh, situated differently or in different uh, number and concentrations, that kind of stuff. So it's um, uh, really important to remember that. And if you get on a medication and you're just getting worse, talk to your provider about it. There may be a solution, and that may include just stopping that medication. So very good. Well, I'm glad you're doing better. All right. Oh, right. Uh, I've
2: been on a certain med for the last probably year and a half. that's supposed to help my A1C for my diabetes and supposed to reduce the risk of having a heart attack. And I've been on it for a year and a half. Last six months or so, I've had a itch on the right side of my testicle and everything. And soap it down every day in the shower and everything else. But I'm watching the commercial, which I generally ignore for this stuff, and It kind of caught my attention because one of the side effects was a yeast infection. Is it possible for a male to have a yeast infection? Just curious. Thank you. Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Um, I mean, you can get a fungal infection of the skin. You can get a yeast infection of the skin. Yeasts and fungi are basically uh, the, the same thing. They're just different forms. You know, yeast is the single cell version and then the fungi are, you know, have hyphae. These are little branches. They, if you look at them under the microscope, they look like trees or vines. Um, you can absolutely get it. And it's I don't know that it's the medication that's causing it. It's the diabetes itself because you've got more uh, sugar in your um, or glucose in your sweat, in your body fluids. And, uh, therefore on your skin and that's food for these things. And so they love it. And, um, you know, if you have a medication and a a statistically significant number of people while they're studying this medicine, get hit by a bus, you kind of almost have to put, you know, 4% of people were hit by buses while on this medication as an adverse reaction. I mean, I'm exaggerating, but that's, it's, it's kind of true. So uh, yeast infection may have been on there because people with diabetes are more um, likely to have fungal infections of the skin just because of the amount of sugar that's being secreted in their fluids. So, um, So yes, you absolutely can. And you can treat it the same way too. So you can just go buy Monistat. If you really think that's what it is, you can do this test. Uh, you go by Monistat over-the-counter, and you just um, rub it on your balls for two weeks. And if the itching and all that stuff goes away, then you've kind of made the diagnosis. If it doesn't, go see your primary care provider. Let them do a, a scraping, and they'll look at it under the microscope. Put some potassium hydroxide on it. Potassium hydroxide is a strong base. When you do that in s- solution, it will d- uh, destroy human skin cells so they just kind of disappear, but it will leave yeast and um and fungal forms intact, so that you they'll stand out. You can see them under the microscope at that point, so it's pretty cool all right all right whale well, hello, oh I am a okay let me let me start this one over again. I'm an idiot here we go
3: uh, hey, dr. Steve uh, I got a little anecdotal thing for you. Um, so I had a friend who was taking uh, spray on magnesium, you know, you spray it on your skin a little bit before you go to bed and it's uh, supposed to help you sleep, I guess. Uh, so I tried it and I used the exact dosage recommended on the bottle. You spray a little bit on the inside of your thighs, I guess this way it doesn't get all over your sheets and rub off. And then, you know, you go to bed and, uh, let me tell you something, this stuff gave me the wickedest most vivid dreams and it felt like you know let's say I slept seven and a half hours it felt like a full seven hours of dreaming where I felt like I was tossing and turning although I was asleep the whole night so uh, it just felt like I never was able to get out of this dreaming state and when I woke up I I did it maybe five times and uh, I never felt rested because I felt like my mind was just churning all night I just want to know if you've heard of this at all. or
1: Yeah. Um, magnesium is known particularly in alternative circles for uh, enhancing sleep. And there is some evidence for it. Um, there is the hypothesis is that magnesium increases REM sleep. So you've got um, if you look at a, a, a normal tracing of sleep, it's L, the the, um, the mnemonic is LDR. So Light deep and REM. And so the normal sleep cycle, although hardly anyone does this stereotypically textbook fashion is you have light sleep and then you go into deep sleep and then you go into REM sleep and then repeat and then light deep REM. And then there's a lot of REM sleep right before you wake up as well. That's why you wake up in the morning. Sometimes you've been dreaming. That's why my kid can't wake up in the morning because he's deep in REM because his sleep cycles all effed up and uh, no alarm clock will wake this kid up. So um, uh, there. I'm, so I'm looking at one sort of alternative article, and then we'll look at a PubMed article about this. Um, but uh, it's, let me see where this thing says a magnesium is a natural sedative that helps muscles relax. Says Leslie Corn, PhD, a behavioral medicine clinician. Really. She's not a clinician. Oh, she's a M.P.H. What the hell is that? Is that a master's in pharmacy? Again, I'm not sure the term clinician is properly used here. But anyway, uh, specializing in integrative therapies. Okay, so integrative therapies are, therapy. Uh, you know, like Doctor Scott is when he works in my clinic and um, does acupuncture on a patient with cancer pain, then. That's sort of integrative medicine where we're integrating uh, an alternative, quote, unquote, uh, modality with sort of traditional Western um, allopathic medical uh, thing. So that's what she does. She specializes in things that have no data and integrating those into a practice where it's data driven. It's sort of the cynical way of looking at it, but that's what it is. Uh, That's why people take magnesium supplements if they have trouble sleeping. Okay, that's great. That's not data. That just means that, you know, culturally people are taking these things. In fact, older adults with insomnia who took 500 milligrams of magnesium daily for eight weeks slept better, dozed off faster, and were less likely to wake up too early compared to those that didn't the mineral. Okay. Didn't take the mineral, a study from Iran found. Okay. So where's the um, citation for this? Of course, there's no citation. You know, I think even if you're doing a goofy website, you should cite your sources. So let's go to the medical literature. Here's magnesium supplementation improves indicators of low magnesium status. Well, yeah, of course. Um, and inflammatory stress in adults older than 51s with poor quality sleep. So what they were looking at is a baseline assessment of body mass index, diet, blood, and urine, and sleep quality. One group was given 320 milligrams of magnesium a day as a magnesium citrate. The other group, a sodium citrate placebo. Now, I like that. So they're even controlling for what the um, acid that it's hooked to, so citric acid, uh, you know, if you pop off one of the hydrogens and stick a magnesium on there, you get magnesium citrate. So, uh, they, uh, or you can pop that, um, hydrogen off and put a sodium there and then you get sodium citrate. So they were even controlling for the acid, which I, I, I like this design so far. So magnesium citrate in one group, sodium citrate in the other for seven weeks. The final assessments were made in five to seven weeks. Which were combined for statistical analysis. Okay, uh, let me see. Let me based on food diaries. Okay, blah 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 blah. Okay, come on, you bastards. Um, okay, um, magnesium versus placebo supplementation did not significantly affect serum magnesium. Well, that's interesting. When all participants were included. When only the thirty-seven participants with serum magnesium concentrations that were low were analyzed, magnesium supplementation, but not the placebo, increased serum magnesium. Well, no shit. So what they're really saying is that if you have a normal magnesium and you take magnesium, it doesn't affect anything. But if it's low, it'll bring it to normal. So that's good. Uh, You know, I said no shit, but it's it's a subtle point. Um, so but so what? Magnesium supplementation versus placebo decreased plasma C-reactive protein, and that's interesting. So in people who had elevated C-reactive protein, so I have an elevated C-reactive protein because of this autoimmune BS that I have, Um, so maybe I should start taking that. uh, So C-reactive protein is a measurement of total body inflammation. So it's elevated, you've got inflammation somewhere. It doesn't say where it is or what it comes from, just that you have it. Uh, these findings show that many individuals have a low magnesium, uh, okay, so this doesn't say anything about sleep. Okay, because dietary magnesium intake did not change during the experimental period, another factor, possibly a placebo effect, improved sleep quality, which resulted in increased uh, blah, blah, blah. This factor prevented, shit, this study is not telling us exactly what we want to know. But anyway, um, let's do magnesium. I Okay, but you can follow along with me. I'm taking a minute <clears throat> to do this because I think it's good that you see um, how how you find out these things. I'm doing magnesium supplementation and sleep quality in uh, PubMed.gov. So it used to be PubMed.com, then it was PubMed.org, uh, and now it's PubMed.gov. This is the uh, National Library of Science uh, resource. It's got every peer-reviewed and some non-peer-reviewed articles in the medical literature uh for the last x number of years there are some journals that don't make it some of those um are uh, uh either the the lower quality or lower readership or uh they were um open access and apparent I guess you have to pay a fee to get indexed if you're one of those I'm not 100% sure about that if somebody knows the answer to that let me know Okay, okay, here's the effect of magnesium oxide supplementation on nocturnal leg cramps. Now, that would be a good one. we got five minutes. Hell, let's just take the last five minutes to look up magnesium supplementation. This one was um, randomized double-blind placebo-controlled clinical trial. (laughs) Nicely done. And it showed oral magnesium oxide was not superior to placebo for older adults experiencing uh, nocturnal leg cramps. So there you go. Um, uh, So magnesium probably isn't the best supplement for that. You know what is good? Tonic water. Uh, Tonic water is quinine. uh, Quinine water and quinine decreases uh, nocturnal leg cramps pretty significantly. So you can do uh, half a cup of tonic water with or without ice and lime, and uh, that should decrease the number of episodes that you have of nocturnal leg cramps anecdotally i can say it completely made mine go away all right uh let's see here um really not a lot of studies on magnesium supplementation and sleep quality so let me just do magnesium supplementation and sleep and see if something comes up uh okay micronutrient inadequately in short sleep no i don't want to do that one You know, this is the issue with this kind of stuff, isn't it? So this woman uh, in this thing is popping off on uh, how great magnesium is for sleep, and yet there really isn't a lot of data out here. Okay, here we go. The effect of magnesium supplementation on primary insomnia in the elderly, a double-blind, placebo-controlled clinical trial. Thank you for doing good science, at least uh, structuring it properly. And this is, oh, this is that Iranian study that she was looking at. This is from the uh, Faculty of Nutrition and Food Technology in uh, Tehran, Iran. Supplementation of magnesium appears to improve subjective measures of insomnia, such as sleep score, sleep efficiency, sleep time, and sleep onset. Uh latency early morning awakening and likewise so it's good for everything and likewise insomnia and objective measures such as concentration of serum renin melatonin and serum cortisol in elderly people so what did they consider elderly i'm going to assume that means over 60 so i fall into that and uh, they gave him 500 milligrams of magnesium or placebo daily for eight weeks then they did questionnaires of insomnia severity index physical activity and sleep logs and stuff like that. They could try to control for caffeine. And um, so they found and then they controlled for all this stuff. So they found no significant differences uh, between the two groups at baseline, which is good. So They didn't have to control for anything as compared to the placebo group. The experimental group uh, brought about statistically significant increases in sleep time with a P value of 0.001. 0. 000 Two, which is pretty damn high that I mean that's awesome so um, we'll say 0.05 is statistically significant which means one time in 20 um, that um, uh, this could be chance so this would be two and let me see so that's five that's two and a thousand so it's one in 500 that this could be uh, by chance alone so that's pretty darn significant. Sleep efficiency with a P of 0.03, which is statistically significant. And uh, concentration of melanin and, and serum renin went up. These are sleep hormones or hormones that are elevated in sleep. And it resulted in significant decrease in this um, ISI score. So that's good. Yeah. So I might try that, get back to you. I, I don't see a downside of supplementing with 500 milligrams of magnesium at night for a few weeks just to see if it helps. That's kind of cool. So um, I'm uh, very interested in following that up. Let me see if there's anything else. I would like to see this this uh, particular article um, uh, repeated. So that's that's the thing. With medical science not only do you want to structure your your trial correctly but you also want to be able to show that your findings are reproducible so uh, i endorse this idea with one caveat it hasn't to my knowledge been endorsed yet or uh, reproduced yet and therefore i can't endorse it wholeheartedly but it is very interesting oh i guess we're out of time i uh, can't forget for, uh, <laughs> wow. Rob Sprance, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teff, Lewis Johnson, Paul Charsky, Eric Nagel, Roland Campos, Sam Roberts, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, whose early support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Appreciate Jim McClure's uh, uh, support over the last couple of years, and uh, listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern, On Demand, and other times, at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website, drsteve.com, for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking, get off your asses and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.